0: The All Star break is behind us, but the trade deadline is two weeks away. We're talking with Dan Walsh this week about Jeremy Hellickson, Pat Neshek, maybe Tommy Joseph. Also, Sixto Sanchez Mania is heating it up in Lakewood. More on him. And our guest this week is Kevin Wilson, who coaches hitting and so much more, and has coached Adam Hazely. He's got a lot to say about the Phillies' first round pick. It's this week's Phillies Nation podcast, number 17. Let's go! Yo, Phillies Nation! Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode number 17. I'm Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of PhilliesNation.com. Go to PhilliesNation.com for all of your news, information, opinion, and more on the Philadelphia Phillies. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PhilliesNation. Twitter at PhilliesNation and Instagram at PhilliesNation underscore. You can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, Tune in radio and youtube.com slash Phillies Nation, also on Apple Podcasts. This week's show is a good one. We have Kevin Wilson on the show a little bit later. He is a hitting consultant with his Kevin Wilson baseball company and has worked with a lot of major league players. He also was a coach for Adam Hazley in 2013 under the USA Baseball 18 and under squad that went to Taiwan and won a tournament. And Adam Hazley played very well there. So Kevin has some good things to say about Adam. We'll talk with him a little bit later about that. And we'll talk with Dan Walsh in a few minutes about the trade deadline and about Sixto Sanchez later on in the show and all the hype that he is garnering right now with the fans and the media. But let's switch focus to what's happening with the team. The Phillies had a very short week this week after the All-Star break. They took on the Brewers in a three-game series in Milwaukee and, of course, lost the series. They did win a game Sunday, and they got a really good performance from one Nick Williams, who decided to hit a grand slam in the sixth inning to help the Phillies win that game. And that was a big shot for Williams and for the Phillies. I think it's good to see Williams right now hitting as well as he is. But this week, we also saw some good performances from Aaron Nola, who continues to be... Pretty outstanding over his last several starts. He has a 3.43 ERA at this point now. Excuse me, 3.54 ERA. He's a 3.43 FIP. He has 88 strikeouts and 27 walks. Good numbers for Aaron Nola, who looks like he's getting back to where he was in the beginning of 2016 when we all thought Nola was going to be about an ace pitcher. And there's a lot of talk right now about Nola potentially being the ace of this staff into in the future. Let me be the, one of the first to say this, and I'm sure there's others who are, who are saying this too, but Nola is not an ace, um, at least at this point. He could maybe become one, and it'd be great if he was. He's a very good pitcher, and nothing against him at all. But let's not label Aaron Nola a potential ace or an ace or anything like that. If anything, Nola is a very good piece for the future, and he should be part of this rotation going into next year because right now this Phillies team, if they need anything, it's really good stabilizing pitching. There's really no use to trading anybody who's young or who's making any sort of waves in the staff because those are the guys who you want on your staff for the future. They're team controlled. They don't make a lot of money and they have all of their career in front of them. They're not on the other side of age 30 and potentially wearing down and breaking down like a guy like Roy Halladay was uh, very quickly in 2013 or someone like Cliff Lee toward the end of his career. It's good to have young guys who are producing at a high level. And of course, the Phillies have had a number of guys pitching who are under the age of 27 this year, and they have not produced. Uh, Jared Ikoff has had a lot of struggles this year, a 4.63 ERA, although he has pitched better here in the last few starts. Nick Pavetta with a 5.63 ERA since being called up to the major leagues. Vince Velasquez with a 5.58 ERA. He's coming back from the disabled list and will be starting. In This upcoming week and hopefully we'll see some good pitching from Velasquez and maybe he can put his struggles from the early part of the season behind him. But all told, the long uh, game counts and the walks are not a good sign for Velasquez. This could be the last time that Velasquez gets a shot to be a starter. A lot of rumors and whispers about him potentially becoming a reliever by next year. If you're the Phillies, there's really not a lot of value left for Velasquez as far as a trade is concerned. I would ride it out. See if he can start at the end of this year. And if next year comes and he's still not making it as a starter, maybe you do move him to the bullpen. Maybe he becomes a really good setup man or even a closer. But at this point, you have to try anything you can with Velasquez because he doesn't have a lot of value at this point. And the Phillies do want to see him succeed. And I think it'd be great to see him succeed in a Phillies uniform. Zach Eflin, of course, injured for basically the rest of the season, a 6-1-3 ERA this year. Mark Leiter has been somewhat of a surprise with a 4.08 ERA. Uh, Maybe he can be part of this rotation into the future. Ben Lively with a 3.80 ERA back in AAA right now. So a lot of young pitchers who have struggled this year, but there have been a couple bright spots, and that looks us into 2018. Nola should be in this rotation. I would assume that Jared Ikoff will get more chances to be a starting pitcher in a major league rotation. So I would pencil him in. Beyond that, I don't know what you're looking at. You're probably going to have a battle for one of those spots between all the young guys Pavetta, uh, Velasquez potentially, lively, lighter, and possibly Tom Eshelman, who's had a very good season in AAA Lehigh Valley. Beyond that, the Phillies should probably be players in the offseason trade market and free agent market to pick up some real starting pitching heft. Talking about you, Darvish, talking about Jake Arrieta, even though his season this year hasn't been as strong as he'd want it to be. There are some good veteran pitchers to be had in the offseason. The Phillies should try to make a splash for one of them this year. But at least they do, it looks like, have someone like Aaron Nola to be part of this rotation next year and to be a stabilizing force at the top. If they can get one or even two very good veteran starters to lead this rotation, and I'm talking better than Jeremy Hellickson, who, by the way, is pitching better lately, But if they get two more veteran pitchers who are very strong and can be leaders at the top of rotation, you slot Nola in there, you get one of the young guys to pick up one of those spots, maybe you find someone on a surprise as the fifth starter. Now we have a major league rotation potentially. But it's been a tough go for these pitchers, obviously. Looking over at the offense, well, some interesting news has come out with Aaron Altair potentially having to hit the disabled list. He got hurt this past week, and it looks like he might have to be out for a little bit longer than that. Of course, that raises the question for fans. Should we see another young guy come up? And the name that I think people would be most interested in at this point is Dylan Cousins, right fielder in Lehigh Valley. He has 22 home runs this year. Looks great, right? But he's only hitting .239. 315 on base percentage, and a 486 slugging percentage. Moreover, his struggles against left-handed pitching, as he's a left-handed hitter, are still there, hitting 220 against lefties with a 304 on base percentage, struck out 40 times in his 100 at-bats against left-handed pitching. Not very strong, and that's the one thing that the Phillies were hoping that Cousins would really improve upon this year, along with plate discipline, which is still not as good as we'd want it to be, 119 strikeouts to 36 walks. Cousins probably needs a little more time in A, And I know that's going to be bad news for some fans who want to see Cousins in the majors right now. They'd like to see all the young guys called up. But the truth is, Dylan Cousins probably needs more work. Beyond that, the Phillies have an actual golden opportunity here. This uh, Aaron Altair injury, as much as we don't want injuries, is sort of a gift wrap to the Phillies here because now they can showcase Daniel Nava every day in the outfield. Or if Howie Kendrick comes back and he's still alive here, maybe he can get a quick showcase before the trade deadline. The Phillies have an uh, an opportunity here to showcase Nava and potentially Kendrick for a trade. They can play them every day going up until the trade deadline and see if they can maximize the value as much as possible. Beyond that, you have Nick Williams, who's obviously playing very well right now, and O'Double Herrera, who is improving so much more this year. His average is now in the 260s. His on base percentage is close to 300. He's slugging at the same rate as he was last year. It's as if O'Double Herrera is not a bad player and is actually just having a tough start to the season. He will be fine. Don't worry about O'Double. But the Phillies outfield is pretty much set. Nick Williams, Odubo Herrera, and slide in Daniel Nava until the trade deadline. Make a trade. Then you'll see what you can do at the end of the trade deadline. Potentially all Terra's back. Maybe if not, then you can talk about potentially someone like Cousins, but possibly not because you want to make sure the guy who's up here is going to start every day and be comfortable playing in the major leagues. Cam Perkins isn't there yet, so right now he's on the bench. But as far as right now, play Nava. See what you can get out of him. Squeeze all the value you can. And then at the trade deadline, then you can talk about things again. We're going to talk trade deadline in a second with uh, my friend Dan Walsh. And what's going to happen? Pat Neshek, Jeremy Hellickson, Tommy Joseph. There are a lot of names that could be floated around here. And a lot of teams are interested in some of the Phillies players. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Royals, the Twins, or some of the teams that are interested in some of these players. This is a very interesting time for Phillies fans. Finally, we get some interest here. Who knows? At least at the end of this trade deadline, we're going to see a little bit more of a clear picture going into 2018. J.P. Crawford sitting better in Lehigh Valley. Aaron Altair looks like a decent player. A lot of things are happening now. So let's now talk about the trade deadline before 2018. And now on the podcast, I bring in Dan Walsh from philliesnation.com. We're going to talk a little bit about the trade deadline, which Of course, it's coming up in just two weeks. It's amazing how quickly this is all happening. But we're here, and it is a very, very popular time of year if you're a Phillies fan, because there's nothing else to look forward to in the Phillies schedule but the trade deadline. Dan, uh, first off, uh, welcome to the podcast. Are you excited about the trade deadline?
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I thought I was here to talk about Game of Thrones, so I don't really know... (laughs) Anything about this deadline you're talking about. Um no, but you're right. For a team in the position that the Phillies are in right now, the, the, the deadline is really kind of the last bit of excitement that we might have this season. You know, we can look forward to uh you know, maybe dishing some guys out and having some new blood come in, some excitement that way. Uh certainly for the first time in weeks or months we have reasons to uh you know, maybe go online and see what people are saying about the Phillies or like follow specific Phillies. Um you know, instead of being like, oh, well, this guy's terrible, we can just say, like, all right, well, he, you know, hellison maybe he's building value. Maybe, you know, maybe he can be moved, something like that. So, so it is a good time of year uh, for us.
0: So let's start talking about the guys who are most likely to move. I mean, there's a lot of guys who could move, um, and some of the others include Daniel Nava, Howie Kendrick, if he ever is alive and comes back healthy, alive. Um, and, I mean, potentially there's a couple long-shot kind of guys, like, I mean, I don't know if Cesar Hernandez were to come back. Maybe the Phillies would flip him, but I don't think that's going to happen at all. Uh, or Michael Franco or something like that, but again, very long shot. But the three guys who are most likely to go, Pat Neshek, Jeremy Hellickson, and Tommy Joseph. First off, Neshek, uh, he's being scouted a lot. The Red Sox are interested. The Yankees are interested. The Royals have been interested, but the Red Sox seem to be the most interested. There's just a piece recently on ESPN.com about how The Red Sox are really looking for a bridge to Craig Kimbrell, and Neshek would really fit the bill there. Uh, Dan, what do you think uh, you could get out of the Red Sox with a Pat Neshek trade?
1: Yeah, I don't know enough about their system exactly to to be able to name specific guys, Um, but you know, something that we have both said in in conversations throughout the season is that relievers, you know, you can get a fair amount for a quality reliever these days, Um, so I think that the comparison I made before was, you know, maybe not what the Phillies got for Ken Giles because uh, he was younger and controlled for so many years and so cheap and all those factors. Not necessarily what uh, was acquired for Aroldis Chapman a year ago because, you know, he was Aroldis Chapman. But certainly for a guy like Neshek, who has this considerable pedigree, who has been, you know, an elite reliever this year, um, they can get something worthwhile. You know, it might be multiple Prospects. It might be, uh, you know, uh, maybe like a like a higher ranked prospect, and it, it won't necessarily be like a low A, you know, long shot or something like that. I don't think.
0: Yeah, I mean, if looking at the Red Sox system, you know, I think you're right. It's either going to be one player who's worth a little bit more than you know what they would have gotten with the bigger haul, or two players, maybe three, but probably two players that have at least considerable prospect value. Um, and I look at the Red Sox system, and I see a guy named Michael Chavez, who's a uh, third baseman. He was ranked ninth by minor league ball before the season. Uh, looks like he's about a high A kind of guy right now, and he's got really good raw power. Um, that could be a potential, you know, pick for them if they wanted to maybe look into uh, getting that third base position stocked up in the farm. Then there's a lot of pitchers in the Red Sox system. I mean, really, if you go down the list in the teens, they have a ton of pitchers in that system. Jake Cozart, uh, Chandler Shepard, who's a little bit older, uh, Luis Isla, Sean Anderson. Just it goes down the list. There's a lot of them. So I think you know, with Neshek, if if you're the Phillies, I would target definitely getting. Either a couple different pitchers who can stock up, maybe the the mid miners and the low miners or a guy who's you know like a Chavis who can maybe step in and really fill a need in the in the uh, farm system right now. And third base is probably their biggest need. Um, yeah, okay, and so- it is it is um, it is an interesting time
1: for the Phillies to be making these trades too, because for the last few years they could make a trade and just take whatever, you know, was given to them, the best players that could be given to them, no matter what level they were at, because they were so desperate for depth in their system and to have more guys in their system. But right now, if they're trying to tune up this rebuild and maybe, you know, be a little closer to competitive in the next year or two rather than three, four, five, uh, then they might favor guys that are closer to major league readiness.
0: Could you see them trading for an actual major league player or players at this point? You know, I, I don't know
1: if it would be the the Giancarlo Stanton or the Christian Yelich type trade that people are talking about right now, um, but certainly they could be trading for, uh, you know, the, the older relief or, yeah, older reliever, uh, older veteran type players, I mean, or like the, the taking a contract off of someone else. So maybe not a splashy trade. Maybe they're not going to go for a future core player through trades, but really it remains to be seen. I mean, the trade deadline is so uh, kind of hectic and chaotic and exciting these days. So really, I don't even want to pretend to know what might happen.
0: And that weird... Yellich and Stanton deal that has been kind of pounced around by a lot of places. Who knows if it's real or not. I mean, it sounds like the Phillies were interested, but I think anybody would be interested in a guy who can slug 40 home runs a season for the next 10 years still. But, uh, if that were to happen, that probably happened in the off season because that's just one of those kinds of deals that has to take a lot of work. And the Phillies would probably deal a number of prospects in that deal. JP Crawford might be leading that list. Uh, Mickey Moniak could be in that deal or something like that. I mean, that's, that would be a big trade for the Phillies to make. Um, okay tommy joseph uh it's you know everybody's talking about how he pretty much needs to go because Reese Hoskins is ready to play in the majors, and we know that his numbers show that uh as far as the Joseph trade market, there isn't a big one because he's a first baseman. A little bit of a limited player. Um, he's young, but you know, I think teams aren't really excited about bringing in a first baseman like that. But the Yankees seem to be interested. And in fact, River Avenue Blues had a piece uh, this week about what maybe Tommy Joseph would look like on the Yankees. Uh, and it looks like he would be a serviceable, at least, platoon player on that team. Uh, potentially a starter because they don't really have any first baseman at this point besides G-Man Choi. Uh, What do you think about the Yankees? Do you think that that's a plausible idea that Joseph could be traded at the deadline into a team like the Yankees?
1: Yeah, I do. What's nice about Joseph is that he's not a player who is going to, you know, take a team from being a mediocre team to being the best team in their division or anything like that. But he's a serviceable first baseman, you know, in the length of his career, you know, the, the time since he was caught up, he's been roughly average offensively among first basemen. And, you know, roughly average doesn't, necessarily impress anyone, but when you're a team that also has Aaron Judge, that also has, you know, millions of dollars that you can spend, then if you can lock it down a guy like Tommy Joseph for a few years, uh, you know, and just have him be average, then you can fill out the roster, you know, with the All-Stars in the other spots.
0: Yeah, and and the, the commenter is not that they know a lot of things here on the River Avenue Blues post. A lot of them are saying, you know, a reliever would be fine to give to the Phillies. Do you think <laughs> Joseph is worth, do you think Joseph, what is his worth? Because... A lot of people are saying he could get the Phillies a lot in value, but because there doesn't seem to be a big market for him, I just don't think that there would be a big market. Do you do you think that they could maybe get a couple guys for him?
1: Maybe they could get a couple guys, but it's not going to be like you know it's not going to be like what they got for Cole Hamels. They're not going to get you know the next. They're not going to restock their top ten prospects or anything with Tommy Joseph. But they could get some all right guys, um, and uh, really, I think that the reason Phillies fans are, are crying for this trade is because they're so desperate to see Reese Hoskins in the majors, and you know, and they'll kind of just throw away whatever they have to in order to see Reese Hoskins, and uh, and so maybe it's you know addition by subtraction in that sense. You know, nothing against Joseph necessarily, but just you know, there's some excitement excitement around Hoskins. I do think he'll be the better player of the two, um, and and so maybe they might even be willing to take a little less for Joseph. Just in order to, you know, just with the realization that they can't really have room for both players.
0: Right. Um, And finally, Ryan Lawrence of the Philly Voice, he wrote a piece this week about a Jeremy Hellickson trade. In fact, I think it was last week, about what a Jeremy Hellickson trade could look like, because it seems like the Phillies would also want to deal him. They also have Vince Velasquez coming back this week, and Jared Eickhoff is in the rotation, finally. And uh, they have a number of pitchers that they kind of have to slot in. So far as Helixson is concerned, he looked at a couple possible deals, uh, just looking at the past and what a pitcher like Helixson would net them. And it seems like potentially two guys, maybe, uh, you know, two sort of middling prospects, uh, maybe with a little bit of upside. But, um, you know, the market, again, is a little bit better for Helixson. Royals, the Twins, Cubs, potentially, because the Cubs, even after getting Quintana, they do want someone else in the rotation, uh, Theo Epstein said. So for Helixson, you know... I don't really care at this point what I get for Helixson but it seems like he might have the most value of anybody.
1: He might given the market and especially because pitching every single year, you know, any team within a, a sniff of the playoffs, right, will take on more pitching if they can. Uh it's just something that every team needs. And so Helixson, the problem with Helixson is that the Phillies have no leverage despite that market because he's gone at the end of this year. Uh you know, so there's really no reason to keep him at all. He, you know, he's been hurt. He um, has been inconsistent this season. Fortunately, his last few starts have looked better. He's certainly building on that uh, success a little bit. And he has, I think, maybe two more starts left before the deadline, something like that. So he might be able to keep that going and, and really help them get a better return. But you're right. So two middling prospects with upside sounds about right to me.
0: Yeah. And Hellickson, by the way, he cannot get a qualifying offer this year because he accepted it last year. It doesn't come into play again this year. It's not a consecutive year thing. So the Phillies would lose him, um, and they wouldn't be able to get anything for him, I believe, uh, at the end of this season. So it it behooves the Phillies to make a move now. And I did want to mention that because it is trade deadline season and a lot of moves are going to be rumored, that you should watch what you read when you are reading websites. Uh, There's a lot of blogs out there that do not have any verified, real, official major league reporters, guys who report on the majors every day and call people and talk to people. Those people don't know anything. No matter what you see and read in these headlines, these sites don't know what they're talking about. So if you see some sort of rumor from a site like that... Do not listen to it. It's not real. You have to get a verified reporter talking to you about that one. So just keep your watch on Twitter. Keep your watch on the web. Make sure that if you're reading something and you want to retweet something or talk about something, it's from a reputable writer who has actual reporting credentials in the major leagues. Dan, I think I would uh, uh you'd agree with me when I say that we are not one of those places and we do not actually put rumors out there like that, right? Am I right? right? We
1: don't we don't pretend to know anything that we don't know, and I'm trying very hard to avoid my, you know, very English professory spiel about credible sources right now. But it is <laughs> it, you know, it is and, and even on Twitter, you might even think that you're reading, you know, the official, you know, whoever but these people, you know, you have to make sure that you're looking at the account with the check mark because people will register accounts that use a one instead of an L or something, so it looks like, yeah. you know, you're reading the guy who, you know, one of these reputable reporters, but it's just some, you know, schlub with a with a Twitter account and too much time on his hands, right? So, so these things, it's, this time of year, it's like so important to remember just kind of the importance of accuracy and, and being mindful of who you're reading and where this information is coming from.
0: And just because a guy is potentially a trade uh, target and just because a team probably needs a pitcher like that person doesn't mean that you can create a rumor saying that that guy is going to be a a, a, a likely candidate for trade to that team. That's not real. Rumors are created within from reporters. Just putting it out there. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm done my spiel. (laughs) Yeah, these
1: things, they can can devolve so quickly because it might start out as a post, you know, a very well-intentioned post saying, you know, the Phillies could use a guy like so-and-so. And then it turns into somebody else misunderstanding that and saying, you know, the Phillies might be looking at so-and-so. And And then next thing you know, you're seeing, like, you know, people are writing to us saying, wait, are the Phillies trading for this guy? And we're like, wait, 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 wait. You know, how did this happen?
0: Exactly. Exactly. So keep watchful. That's all I'm saying. All right, Dan, uh, we'll talk to you a little bit later on. Yeah, sure. My guest this week on the Phillies Nation podcast is Kevin Wilson of Kevin Wilson Baseball. He is a hitting consultant who has worked with a number of major league players and players in the minors and beyond. He's also worked with Philly's first-round pick, Adam Hazley, as the hitting coach of the 2013 USA Baseball h H&M and Under Team that won uh, the World Cup over in Taiwan a couple of years back. Uh, welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, Cameron. Thanks for having
2: me. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here with you.
0: Oh, no, thank you. Uh, it's, all, it's all my honor, really. Um, so, first off, you're, you, have, you actually have your head consultant business out of Philadelphia. Um, it's near City Hall, correct, on 15th and Market?
2: Yes, yes, that's where the headquarters are, that's where the office is, but uh, my job literally takes me ar- around the world, so uh, I'm very blessed and fortunate to be able to uh, visit many places um, and, uh, and help these guys out.
0: It, it, it sounds like a great job, and we'll get to that in a sec. Are you
2: actually from Philadelphia? I'm from Bucks County originally, uh, from uh, and we live in Yardley, so we don't live too far away. And uh, so it's an easy commute down to the office or the stadium.
0: That's wonderful. And so did you, did you actually grow up a Phillies fan and all that jazz, uh, playing baseball?
2: Oh, sure, yeah. I grew up a Phillies fan. Uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, the 80s teams and then obviously the 93 yep. um, team, and that's, uh, 93, that's when I was in high school, so I was really enjoying that time like the rest of the city, and then uh, obviously... Uh, it was fun to see it in 2008, so I've been a lifelong Phillies fan, and uh, have, like everybody else in the town, you live the ups and downs with them, and uh, you know, I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I
0: mean, as bad as they're playing right now, it still is uh, lifelong you know, fandom that you've got to stick with. Um, okay, so you play baseball yourself. Uh, where did you go to school, and sort of how did the baseball sort of life get into your blood?
2: Well, I, I stayed local. I went to high school at Holy Ghost Prep in Ben Salem, and then I played uh, at the University of Cincinnati, uh, and then I signed with the White Sox after, uh, after college and played for six years in the minor leagues. And um, I was a hockey player, believe it or not, growing up. Uh, mm. I played for Wissahickon Skating Club out in Chestnut Hill, and I broke my leg in 10 places when I was 8th grade, and so that really ended my high hockey career. So baseball, I didn't really get serious about until high school. Uh, so I was a little bit of a late bloomer, and uh, but it was it was good. I was older for my grade, and I could kind of catch up, and, and I ended up catching up by my senior year, and that got me an opportunity to play and play in college. But uh, just something I'm, I'm a huge hockey fan, huge Flyers fan. Uh, my wife is too, but uh, baseball. There's just something about baseball, and I think uh, others listening to this show that. Uh, share that same same romantic feeling about the game, um, the ebbs and flows of it, just the pace of it. Uh, being at the ballpark is so different than watching it on TV. All that kind of stuff. I just fell in love with it. And my dad didn't play. Uh, he played growing up, but he didn't play professionally or even in college. So, uh, but he used to take me to the vet. You know, I was like everybody else. You sit in the 700 level, and and you uh, observe from afar. Um, and so, I'm just so blessed to be able to be in. In the game of baseball that I, I, I so love, and uh, just so happened to uh, uh, continue to be in it, so that's how it got started.
0: I mean, I, that's pretty amazing. Like, I'm I'm always in awe of people who can play like multiple sports. I I could play sports, but not very well. I guess at, you know the end of the day. But uh, for someone to play, you know, two sports, play them well, and then you were able to succeed as a professional baseball player um, on on a couple levels. You know, that that, that does, that's very all of that. Uh, But what was it like kind of playing baseball those years, kind of going from city to city and and that kind of grind? Uh, What does that do for a guy? What does that do for someone who doesn't really, you know, go out of college and have a set nine-to-five job?
2: I think going out of college and having a 9-to-5 set job is way easier, in my opinion, um, than than trying to slum it through the minor leagues on bus rides and playing in, in podunk towns and towns no one ever heard of. Uh, I certainly visited a lot of towns and never even knew existed. Um, but again, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It taught me such life lessons that I don't think I would learn from collecting a paycheck and kind of sitting there from 9-to-5. I'm not saying that you can't learn those lessons. I'm just saying that there's a lot of adversity you face in the minor leagues. A lot of things that people don't really know that go on, um, and the struggles that you face. And you know, in this case, trying to hit a baseball is the hardest thing to do. Um, and when you're fa- when you're going town to town, you're away from your family for the first time, perhaps. Maybe you're not used to being on a bus for 16 hours and then having to get off and then play a game. Um, a lot of failures attached to it, and you're you're and you're starting at the lowest rung of the totem pole. Um, the goal is obviously to get to the big leagues. But um, say if you're, just as a Phillies fan, say if you're in Williamsport or if you're in the GCL in Clearwater, if you're at the lowest of the low, you don't even know if you're ever going to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of things. that Am I am I going to make it? And most of the time, you're on your own. There's really no one to help you most of the time. So it's a lonely feeling. And you do look back at your friends that are making a lot more money than you're making uh, in the minor leagues because the majority of the guys uh, are not making any money at all. You don't sign for anything. I signed for $1,000. I didn't sign for anything. And so, um, you know, after taxes are taken out of $1,000, not, not much, that's not going to set you up for life. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you're not getting paid anything, really. Uh, my first paycheck was $850 a month playing minor league baseball, and that's before taxes and, and food and rent um, and any other bills that you had. So I think, you know, when, when you're coming out, uh, we were jealous of, of guys that had a nine to five, and they had—they were making way more money than us, and they had a lot more security. But you definitely take the shot. Um, you definitely—you know—you don't regret it because you do. You do. You want to take a shot, see if you can make it, and because uh, not many people get that opportunity either. So
0: yeah, it, it, it's a hard life for sure, and I think a lot of fans—they do realize, but I don't know if they really. I mean, unless they live in a minor league town and with that team a lot, they don't necessarily see that these teams have you know twenty five thirty guys each, and how many different levels there are, and how many different teams in those levels there are, and then even below that there are other levels that you know team guys are in the Dominican and they might never get out of there, and so it is a really hard life, and 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 that's something that I think. You know, guys like you who are able to work with a lot of players and help them not just with their swing but with baseball and, and, and the lifestyle and how to kind of be more mentally focused and more driven and to know when the time is right to move to a different place or move on or something like that. I think it's important to have people like you in that, in that sort of uh, environment. So how did, how did it all happen for you? At what point did you decide I want to become someone who teaches and coaches and works with these kids?
2: For me, it—I mean, I, my last season of playing was in 2006, so 10 years ago in 2007. I, uh, you know, I came to the conclusion that I want to help these pro guys. And at that time, I had a baseball academy, and I was doing lessons in Philadelphia, and um, I was having a blast doing that. And uh, but I wanted something more. And I knew when I got done playing, I wanted to help guys like myself that really struggled with finding my identity. You know, really struggled with finding how. Um, how do I fit in this puzzle? You know, my doubts and my fears and all these things, and I really didn't have anybody to go to. Yeah, you can go to your parents and stuff, but it's really tough to talk to somebody who hasn't been through this lifestyle before. Your parents are going to love you and they're going to say, you know, all the right things, but it does, you know, it just, you still are yearning for more, if that makes sense. So, from somebody who's actually experienced it. So I said, you know what? I. I, I didn't know personally, I knew there were people out there, but I I didn't know personally that someone that could do it from a hitting coach perspective, but more so uh, from a life coach and a mentor, uh, because 10% what I do is is hitting. The 90% is, is the life aspect of this and the one that I, I, I deem the most important, uh, because if you don't have your mind right and you don't feel like you're in a good place mentally, uh, a good place in your life, uh, a good place spiritually, or whatever that you're, you're working on, uh, there's no way that you can go out there and perform every night. Um, and even if you are good with that, doesn't mean you're going to get four hits tonight either. So, uh, it all came about with there was a need I felt, and there was uh, an opportunity to become that person, that mentor, that life coach, that hitting coach, uh, to be able to help these guys just get through the everyday grind of. Growing up in in professional baseball, and whether you were 18 or if you were 34, it didn't matter, uh, there was a need, and I tried to fill that need.
0: You mentioned identity and finding your identity, which I think is really interesting, um, because I just, I, I look at a minor league team and I see 25 to 30 guys who are all striving for the same thing. They want to get to the major leagues one day, they all have these very high goals, and it's uber competitive at that level, in every aspect of what they do, um, out there in that world. Um, were you struggling with your identity at that time? Did you did you think that your identity was maybe just you know I'm a baseball player. This is what I'm at. Or this is who I am. Or was there was there like a struggle going on? Like how was that working for you?
2: It wasn't working very good because I was definitely struggling. <laughs> you know, looking <laughs> back on it, um, you know, I was trying to be somebody who I wasn't. I think I preach to my guys is know thyself, be the best version of yourself. Um, you know, there there are guys that. Say if it's a high-round uh, draft pick maybe he got a couple million bucks or whatever, there's obviously um, perceptions and there's things that are placed on him um, and uh, projected. He's going to be here. He's going to be that. Uh, it's very easy to be able to try to conform to that. I think we live in a society, in a society that conforms rather than being unique and being an individual. Um, so again, the, the, the way that I try to teach and coach these guys is i, I want to teach the person first uh, and a player second because i know if i get the player right believing in the things that he does doing what he does uh being unique uh, being genuine authentic um trying not trying to be somebody who he's not uh then he's going to accomplish what he needs to accomplish because he's being the best version of himself so me i was trying to be somebody else i was trying to be the, somebody the club thought i should have been uh, I was a switch hitting shortstop. You know, they wanted me to hit home runs, and I was not a home run hitter. But I sure as heck tried, uh, and I failed. Um, so again, it was a lesson of I, you got to be the best version of yourself. I, I, you know, I believe that yeah, we're all born with unique talents. We just have to find out what they are, and once we find out what those unique talents are that we've been given and blessed with, then we just have to try to master those strengths. And so, I, I certainly, when I was going good, I was certainly mastering my strengths. The problem was i didn't know what i was doing if that makes sense i just wore the same socks to the game that day i took the same route to the ballpark i was very superstitious um but i wasn't i didn't understand why i did what i was doing so my struggle came from a lack of understanding understanding why i was good and understanding why i was bad at times um but the good thing is that I, i went through those struggles and i think um You know, someone asked me the other day, what's my definition for success? And my definition for success might be a little different than others. uh, Mine is learning how to fail uh, because we never learn anything from winning all the time. Like, we don't learn anything from winning. Like, I I was the tallest basketball player uh, in grade school, and I scored 30 points a game, but I didn't learn how to play basketball. I was just, I just was taller than everybody. Um, But, you know, the moment you get into a minor league setting or pro ball or anything that's outside of your comfort zone, that's where the learning begins, and so I, my, my baseball career was almost a sacrifice to myself in order to understand uh, better what exactly went on so that therefore I can turn around and help these guys that are the next generation.
0: So when someone comes to you with a call or what have you and says, I'm looking for a little bit of help um, with my swing or whatever it is, is it typically that they actually are looking for a little bit of mental coach, coaching over the swing or is it usually I want swing help and then beyond, and then along the way we start to figure some things out mentally? I mean, how does that usually work with your clients?
2: Everybody is a little bit different. Most of the time, you know, if it's especially a younger guy and even an older guy, I guess, looking back on it, um, it's a lot of the mechanic part. They'll come, get, like, my swing's off. I don't feel right. And they're not lying they're not wrong um but you know everybody's unique i'm a big believer and like we were talking about before everybody has unique talents i don't teach everybody the same so when they come in I, I really i really try to get to know them first because in order to teach the person i have to understand what their beliefs are what their strengths are what their fears their doubts what they believe in so my kind of process uh, in a nutshell is i ask them a ton of questions because um, I'm, I'm a big believer that I, that sometimes the best answer to a question is a question in return. Mm-hmm. You know, so like a, a kid, for example, might take a swing. How's it look? Well, I could tell him how it looks, but I don't really want to tell them anything because because yeah. I can't really teach them anything. I can only make them think. So when I'm gonna in response to that, well, how's it feel? And then walk them backwards through that. So when they first come to me, I try to learn as much as I can about the person, about their history, where they've been in. Uh, who's their coach in the past, what the organization wants, what do they want ultimately, because it's their career, not not mine, or the organization's uh, version of yourself. So I try to collect as much data, um, but not in, like, launch angles or exit or stack-ass data. I'm talking about personal data and background. And so with that information, I turn around and, and I teach them the way that they like to learn. I, I speak their language. I speak uh, their terminology. I speak what they feel. Uh, is important to them, but at the end of the day, they come in with a, uh, a swing question, they leave with uh, feeling good mentally about why they do something, exactly have a plan and an approach and a purpose for every little detail that they do throughout the day. Uh, so, so to your point, yeah, they, they come with the swing, but they leave with the mentality.
0: And, and you have on your website some great testimonials from guys who you've worked with and some professional players, David Eckstein, who had a very fruitful career in his uh, major league uh, career, uh, Matt Caesar, who is a local guy himself and he's playing right now, uh, I think, in the Padres organization. Um, some great players that you've worked with in your life. Um, do you get a sense of like satisfaction or, or pride or anything like that when a guy sort of, you know, takes some of the things that you taught them or you, you could see some of the development in, in working with them and then they are able to, you know, put that on the field and actually, you know, become better ball players?
2: Certainly for me because my why every day is to help somebody. I wake up every morning and I ask, you know, how can I help somebody today? Um, and so for me, when I see something click for a guy, it doesn't have to be in the big leagues. It could be uh, in a cage behind the scenes and no one knows, you know, what we're doing. Um, you know, just those little moments, because I'm big on celebrating the small wins in life. Uh, I think we wait for the big, like, win the World Series to celebrate. But along the way, uh, in that journey that we go on in life, and in this case, we're talking about life in baseball, we got to celebrate the small wins. And so when I'm, uh, you know, when I'm, I'm working with a guy and I see a click, you know, something clicks for them mentally or a terminology works or something that really helps them, all of a sudden now... I really get excited about that because I understand that the small wins—if you're getting one percent better every day—at the end of the career and end of your your life, you're going to look back and be like, "Wow, I did. I was very consistent in what I do." So I take great pride in in seeing those guys um, succeed because it's not about me; it's about them. You know, they're the ones swinging. They're the ones that are playing. Uh, I'm just the one that maybe asks them a question and what how they do some how they do things. And um, you know, I I just want to make sure that they. They understand why they do it, and when they do that, then they can teach themselves, and that's the best thing for me. Right. Now, let's talk about
0: Adam Hazley a little bit, because I know a lot of Phillies fans are really interested in Hazley. You worked with him in 2013 as the hitting coach of the USA Baseball 18-and-under national team, uh, and I misspoke earlier, they won the gold medal at the IBAF World Cup in Taiwan that year. Adam Hazley actually uh, was the World Cup batting champion in that tournament, so... Um, what was your impressions of hazley working with him what kind of guy is he as far as the mental game is concerned and where his life at and life is at and where his mind is at and his identity what do, what have you sensed from him you know um, in that sort of mindset
2: uh he was way beyond his years in terms of when he was 18 and 17 way beyond his years in terms of how to uh, have an approach at the plate how to um, you know, walk through at bats. Uh, he was—he's a very cerebral person. Uh, you know, he went to UVA, and you know, is smart. Obviously, I, I couldn't get into UVA and all that. Uh, but there's a lot of things that you can do as a as a as a as a player when you have a mindset like that—that that you understand why you do stuff and, and how you do it. From an early age, he understood that. So, number one, he separated himself from understanding why he did something. Number two. Uh, when I first met him, I, I saw Chase Utley in him. Uh, not because he's left-handed and he can hit the baseball uh, and, and athletic. Guy. And not because I'm a Philly guy. Not because I'm a Philly guy, but just with Chase and his demeanor, that you don't know if Adam is going to go 0 for 4 or 4 for 4. You know, you don't know what he's done. So for me, uh, I looked at that and said, that kid's going to be successful just because of the simple fact that he um, uh, is very uh, even keel throughout. And so, you know, people <laughs> that watch the press conference are like, well, isn't he excited to be in Philadelphia? That's Hayes. It's kind of like Chase, you know. When Chase first came on the scene, I'm sure the media was, was like, man, this guy doesn't give any emotion at all, like bland answers or whatever. But Chase Utley, is, everybody loves Chase now. And yeah. so I think the same thing is going to be with Hayes, is they're going to understand that this guy is competitive. He will play like Chase in terms of he'll play hard every single day. Uh, he's he's going to give it his all um he is not going to live the ups and downs with the fans he's going to be the same uh he's going to put great at-bats together and i think by the end of his career people are going to really appreciate what adam hazley has meant to the Phillies.
0: well and for you seeing him in 2013 and seeing a lot of those things back then and working with him then and even it's been four years since then and he's obviously had a good collegiate career and he's been a highly rated prospect this whole time nothing has really changed about how good he performs and, and how the success has come with him so it seems like this guy seems to be a sure bet I mean I know a lot of people were talking about how the Phillies picking Hazley was one of the sure bets in the first round and he looks like an all-around stud uh, it seems like kind of through his entire sort of amateur career he really was sort
2: of a sure thing you, you, you do agree with that well, I wouldn't say, I mean, he's probably the closest to a sure thing that you can get. Uh, there's Baseball's a funny game like that. I mean, there's just, uh, look at all the first-round draft picks that didn't make it, and they were called sure things, and I love Hayes to death and all those kids on the USA team. But uh, I think for a guy to draft a guy, and I think that's what maybe some fans don't don't know, and I certainly wouldn't know if I wasn't in it that the scouts just don't look at the abilities. They look at the whole entire makeup, the personality, even more so today than back in when I was going through the process. Um, and, and if you're going to spend some money like they gave, gave Hayes, I mean, you better believe that, uh, you know, their background checks and understanding his, his mental uh, capacities for things and, uh, you know, giving all the psychology tests to him and uh, any other draft picks and stuff like that. But um, in terms of understanding how to handle a pro season, and a guy that I wouldn't be too worried about understanding the ups and downs of a professional career, I, I would, much like a lot of the greats in this game, I, I, would, I would bet on Hayes. Because, again, he doesn't get too up or too down. Doesn't mean he doesn't get frustrated. Um, just like Chase, I mean, they're gamers, they're competitors. He, Hayes is one of the most competitive people I've ever been around. Um, but he has his own unique way of going about it. So with that being said, uh, anything you throw at that kid, he's going to handle it.
0: Uh, And talk about the swing, uh, his approach at the plate, and how that translates into success or even failure um, at his level.
2: Uh, It's kind of like we were talking about before. He understands what pitch he he hits the best. He understands where on the plate that needs to be. He understands uh, timing, which is the most important thing, number one thing in hitting. He understands timing. He understands contact points. Um, You know, he, as a pitcher himself, I mean, you know, people, A lot of people know he pitched at UVA, and he, he pitched for us at USA a little bit, too. He was a two-way. We took a lot of two-way guys with us for uh, tournament baseball for our World Cup. But he really understands why he does everything. He has a really good pregame routine. Uh, he understands his swing real well. Uh, he understands uh, his, his body, the movements he needs to have. Um, all those things that go into being unique, and it really clicked for him about seven months ago. Um, and it clicked about seven months ago where he put his approach, his mental game, and his swing mechanics all together, and obviously he had a, a tremendous spring. So um, he's just really in tune with what he does and does well, and he doesn't deviate from that, um, and that's that's pretty special for a guy that young.
0: Currently, uh, Adam is at Williamsport right now with the crosscutters. Uh, through 43 at-bats, he has a three seventy-two average, four sixty-two on base percentage, and a .512 slugging percentage. He's hit four extra base hits thus far. He looks and also ten strikeouts and seven walks. Good discipline. He looks like he's going to move pretty quickly through the system. I think a lot of people have talked about the fact that he can move up quickly. He's also older um, for that kind of level, so one would assume that he can move up quick. Is is, is Hazley potentially going to go to either Lakewood or even Clearwater this season?
2: I don't know the I don't know the whole um, you know background to that. Um, you know, for me, just looking at kind of the rosters, I, would, I wouldn't think that he'd go to Lakewood just because Moniac's there. Sure. And I would assume they want both to play center field every day. Yeah. Um, and, again, I don't work for the club, so I don't know all the specifics. But I would assume that if we're going to move him anywhere, being an older guy, more established and, and kind of uh, he's faced kind of you know, better pitching, uh, I would think that if he would move anywhere, it would be high A. Um, and whenever that is, I, I don't know. I mean, it's right. And that's another thing he's good at, too. And a lot of, a lot of good kids are, and it's tough, but... You just you control what you can. You play every day, you come to the ball ballpark and you know he's in Williamsport now, like you said, and you, you're you're a cross cutter until they tell you otherwise. Um and I think again, because he's a little bit older and he's really good and he's a little bit more advanced mentally and he's had some um you know, some, some people around him that have helped him understand kinda like pro baseball and so uh I think uh I think he's really good in that department too, just staying present, staying where his feet are.
0: And you know, as you said before especially talking about the mental side uh, with minor league players especially, you know, it doesn't matter if you are a multi-million dollar first-round pick who's going to apparently move up the system quick the people, or you're, you know, a guy who was drafted in the 17th or 27th round or something like that and you're trying to just move up as, as as much as you can and you might have to play at a certain level like low A for maybe a year and a half or two years before you get a next call up doesn't matter where you are. I think you would agree that, you know, Looking at that day ahead and just being the best person you can be that day, and, and and
2: keeping yourself optimistic and grounded is really the way to be. Yeah, and I think it's a great life lesson. Like I was saying before, I, the the game of baseball to me is just a great platform to teach life lessons through. And so, um, I, I think anybody listening to this this uh, pod, you know, you, the stuff that we're talking about in baseball, I mean, you can plug and place in life and whatever line of work you're in. Um, controlling what you can't control understanding your strengths mastering your strengths being where your feet are um, and really trying to like enjoy the process of where you're at um, you know you're not going to it's not going to be roses and rainbows every day uh, but that's again where we learned if you fail it's not it's not a uh, you know it's not a fixed mindset that it's on you like you're a bad person no it's failure's going to be there and so you have permission to fail i tell the guys you have permission to fail as long as you step back and you learn from it and you move on, because that's where you learn. And uh, So again, everything I believe, what we're talking about too, is just great life lessons in general. And Like I said at the beginning, that's where all those failures and, and ups and downs in my baseball career really helped me in life and business and, and not only just with these guys. And so your
0: job right now, you move all over the place and work with clients who want to bring you out to certain you know, outposts where you have to work with them, um, but you also have a book out, correct?
2: Yes, the Good Batting Book. Uh, I published that in 2016, so last year, and um, it's been. Uh, it, it, I'm just so grateful that uh, people uh, really—they've bought it all around the world, and it's kind of crazy to think about. It. I never thought about it, you know, when I started playing. I never thought that you know I'd be an author, you know. But it, but it's it's a it's a book that's uh, a lot of the stuff we're talking about the, the mental side of the game and the stuff that it's not. There's no mechanics in the book. There's a lot of stuff in it that you know you helping you become the best version of yourself. It's a book, uh, again, I'm not going to teach you much in that book, but when you get done reading the book, it's only 50-something pages. It's very short to the point. It's got room for notes and stuff you can take. Uh, but when you get done reading the book, you're going to look back and be like, wow, he's made me think about what am I doing in life or what am I doing in the game. Um, so, yeah, it's for hitters in baseball, but it, it, uh, I've had parents and I've had business people read it, and they're like, it just happen to be like baseball, and they're like, wow, man, it's actually a... It's actually a life lesson book too because you're making me think about the things that i'm doing so just just blessed to, to be in that opportunity to again it's a, another mechanism for me to to uh, live my why to help others and if that book helps one other person then it's uh, then it's that's uh, great for me
0: and the good baseball book is available on amazon I would assume and, and is it available in store or anything like that
2: yeah it's only it's uh, the good bang book is in Amazon or if you go to kwbaseball.com, dot com it's in the store tab there too so you can go to my website or or just type in. Uh, hashtag good batting book right. and it'll come right up there on amazon for you so
0: hashtag good batting book and um you have a podcast as you mentioned before right
2: yeah yeah kwb radio uh which you can be on itunes and stitcher uh me and my best friend joe Ferrero, we started that in 2014 and speaking of phillies charlie Manuel was our first guest uh charlie's been a huge mentor of mine for years and and so chuck was uh our first guest you mentioned david Eckstein. Eck was our second guest so we I try to bring a lot of my friends on the pod and, and, and talk about baseball, talk about life, and just talk about stuff uh, that's actually going to help you, you know, play and, and, and look at the game in a different light and more manageable light. So I appreciate you to mention that. Yeah, KWB Radio uh, on iTunes and Stitcher.
0: If you're, if you're a baseball player or even just interested in getting, you know, some sort of a... Uh, like mentorship in some way whether it's you know just really quick uh, through your headphones or maybe by reading it Kevin is is a really good source for that you should check him out on his website Uh, Kevin Wilson of Kevin Wilson Baseball thank you so much for coming on the podcast
2: I really appreciate it no thank you I appreciate the opportunity grateful
0: back here with Dan Walsh on the Phillies Nation podcast and it's time to talk hype There is a prospect in the Philly system who has considerable hype, and I'm sure you've heard of him by now, Sixto Sanchez. 18-year-old right-hander who absolutely throws fire. He can throw up to 100 miles an hour. In fact, he threw over 100 miles an hour Wednesday night at his game in Lakewood. He's playing for the Blue Claws this year, and he's putting up pretty good numbers too. If you check out his stats for this year, he has a 2.88 ERA in... uh, about 56 innings, and he struck out 54 and walked just six. He also has given up just one home run in his entire minor league career, which is really, really nuts. So, Dan, uh, I don't know if you saw any of the articles after Wednesday's performance, but the entire baseball world is a Twitter with Sixto Sanchez mania. Did you see it?
1: I saw it. And listen, I said before the season started we were doing our player previews, And I wrote about Sixto Sanchez that if you want to be the guy who's heard of Sixto before your friends have, that was the time to do it. And you can see exactly why now, because really, people are really taking the Sixto Sanchez as the Phillies prospects who might actually have the highest upside out of any of them.
0: I love the pieces by the writers. Like, Matt Gelb had a piece after Wednesday. He's a great writer. He's a good reporter. You know, Matt's one of the best. But, I mean, you, you you can't help but take like a narrative spin with these pieces, and he starts the piece by talking about uh, the the energy, or the energy, excuse me, the, um, the radar guns at the stadium, and how there's like murmurs of all the different scouts in the stands and the people who are watching like Pedro Martinez, or you know they're, they're talking about all the different guys, like Louis Tian, like, that he looks like. It's insane. And then you had uh, Keith Law on Twitter. Uh, he was at the game as well on Wednesday. And he tweeted out about, oh, this guy, you know, is throwing about 99 in the first inning of this game. Oh, now he's throwing 101, and guys are going nuts about it. Like, like, baseball wonks can't help but go nuts for this kind of stuff happening. It's great to see it in Philadelphia for the first time in a while.
1: Yeah, you're right. And Keith Law is usually very measured in his analysis. Um, very you know, anti Phillies, mean- man. <laughs> he's anti everybody. Whatever fan whatever team you're a fan of, he's anti that right. team. But um but yeah, so when he so when he's excited about a player though, you know, especially consider considering all the players he's scouted and watched and looked at and written about through his career, um, it really says something about that player. And it, it sounds to me like what makes Sixto uh Sanchez so important and so special isn't even the stats, because you know the stats can be misleading, especially in the lower levels of the minors. Um but it's that he throws 100 miles an hour, but he also locates it, right? So he's throwing harder than everyone else at this level, but he's also locating better than everyone else at this level. And those are two things that you don't usually see at the same time, let alone in someone who's 18 years old.
0: Plus, he also has a change-up, I think, that comes in at 90. So, like, that alone, I mean, that's Noah Syndergaard stuff. Like, a guy who throws a change-up that fast, and it's still 10 miles below the fastball, is just insane. Like, just... I, I hope that this guy is able to stay healthy and get through his minor league career and get to Philadelphia at some point, which now begs the question, Dan, I don't know how qualified you are to answer this, but so what do you think happens with him? You know, do do we have to see him kind of go to Clearwater next year and writing the year after, and do we have to take a patient approach here as fans with six Sixto?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely not qualified to make that decision, <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> and I'm so relieved say that uh but it wouldn't surprise me if he was you know he did a level a year uh you know in his development and uh just so that he had time to reach that upside so that he didn't come to the majors before his secondary pitches were ready you know and then turn into a guy that just throws a 100 mile an hour fastball but can't really do anything else because he hasn't had time to develop anything else uh you know one of the things that i did read before this season uh, and this is from i think it's right yes yeah, from eric longenhagen of um a fan he's good
0: um
1: he used to be a phillies writer he's a very he's he's a fantastic uh, scout and prospect writer and so one of the things that he had written coming into 2017 about six though was that um his secondary pitches uh need some work uh his language is none of his secondary pitches are particularly impressive right now he says that he has a fringy curveball has promising shape but currently lacks depth right so there. are still things that he can be working on it sounds like um you know he he is and that like he can he his delivery is very consistent and like those are all things that we should be really excited about um but it's not time to call him up you know today or next year or anything like that so you know so let's be excited about him let's be excited for him uh and certainly make the drive to lakewood if you can when he's pitching um but yeah it's not you know i am a proponent of taking our time with our prospects
0: yeah and uh if you are interested in going to lakewood to (laughs) your Yeah. It probably won't happen for a while because they go on very weird. I mean, the home stands in the Sally League are about four games long, and then they go on a four-game road trip. Plus, Lakewood right now has a six-man rotation, so that could very well change very soon. But I think I, I did the math myself because I might want to go out there, and the next time you might see Sixto actually at home is not until potentially August 27th, which is a Sunday, so that might be a well-visited uh, well game for a lot of people. Uh, maybe he'll pitch there sooner. Hopefully he does. But either way, measured excitement for this guy. He's amazing at, at right now at first glance. He looks amazing. Let's hope he stays amazing and, and hope he stays healthy. And we have a guy in a couple of years who can pitch on uh, opening day 2022. Okay. <laughs> 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 or if you're the Philly, <laughs> 2029. Uh, Dan Walsh. We'll uh, talk to you later on. Thanks for coming on. All
1: right. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks to bensound.com for the music for the podcast. My thanks to Dan Walsh for coming on the podcast. Also, Kevin Wilson of Kevin Wilson Baseball for coming on. The podcast can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, YouTube.com slash Nation, and Apple Podcasts. Go to philliesnation.com for all of your news, rumors, information, and more. Instagram at philliesnation underscore and Twitter at philliesnation. Blah. Did I say facebook.com slash philliesnation? I may have not. That's the last plug. I swear. Oh, also, we have another podcast, Playing the Rube. It comes out on Fridays. It's me and Dan playing the Philadelphia Phillies. as 2009 on Out of the Park Baseball. We're general manager. We're trying to do a better job than Ruben Amaro Jr., You should check it out. It's really fun, and if you love general managing, it's really fun. Phillies this week have the Marlins. They're in Miami for a couple games, then they come back home to face the Brewers, so we're back with Milwaukee after that, and uh, interesting games coming up. We'll see what happens. Uh, Clearly, we'll see the outfield situation take shape. Aaron Altair might go on the disabled list. At the very least, we might see some trades this week. We will keep you updated at PhilliesNation.com with anything that breaks. This has been the Phillies Nation Podcast. We will see you next week.